We're in a series right now entitled Undefeated. And I want to share with us today, and I believe it's, it's for somebody in the room today. God has defeated what has defeated you. Whatever you feel like has, has defeated you in life, God has defeated that. The Bible word for defeated used throughout Scripture is the word crushed. And if that's the way you feel in your spirit, if that's the way you feel in your heart, if that's your experience in life, I want you to know God has defeated what is defeating you. And to set the scene for this, and I'm going to take us into communion in just a moment, I want to speak on the subject, the four cups. In order for us to understand the importance of the Passover, the four cups that were shared, Jesus, with what we typically called the Last Supper, I need to take you back in time. So let's roll time back a few centuries. And now we're in the Old Testament. God selected a people, Israel. And God said he would write his name upon them and he would give them a land. In the course of the story, the Bible says that there was a famine in the land and God instructed that, that his people were to go to Egypt for seven years and then the famine would pass and then they could go back to their land. However, they chose to stay. It's always a mistake to stay in a place where God has not put you. We always find excuses to stay in a place we know God has not assigned us and God has not purposed, and they stayed. And it would result in 400 years of bondage. 400 years, the Hebrew people would become slaves to the will of a Pharaoh. For 400 years, they would fill the, the, the crack of the whip of a callous Pharaoh, as he would demand that they would build his cities and his monuments. They find themselves in slavery. Can you imagine year after year building, no day off, other energies given to just, just serving, serving the Pharaoh. You can hear the moans, the wails of the children crying the broken heart, the racking sobs of mothers as they know that their sons and daughters will be destined to a life of slavery. The men, their emaciated bodies, scarred by the whip, hewning stones out of the desert, bringing them and placing them one upon the other. The back-breaking work as it were, the labor and the scorching sun coming down upon their bodies. And the Bible says they begin to cry unto the Lord, Oh God, send a deliver. God, free us from this. And God wanted to free them. The book of Genesis closes. The last word of the book of Genesis is Egypt. How sad. That's not how God wanted it to be. But the last word of that book assigns them to a place that God did not want, not want them to be. Can I tell you the most expensive thing in the world is to disobey God. 
The most expensive thing in life is to walk against the will of God and against the purposes of God. It will cost you relationships. It can, it can cost you your, your time, your, your energy, your wealth. You, you, will, you will amass only to lose if you're not walking with God. The book of Genesis closes following that, the book of Exodus. In between those two books are 400 years 400 years of slavery, 400 years of bondage that the Israelites are going through. But they will cry unto the Lord. God, send us a deliverer. Take us out of this this misery and out of bondage. Take us back to our land. And God will summon a man by the name of Moses. He will speak to him in a wilderness. And he will tell Moses, you go tell that Pharaoh, let my people go. And that's exactly what God would say to us today. That would be his message. It's always been his message. God wants his people to be close to him. And God's always wooing and drawing us closer to him. Moses, adorned by a tunic, will stumble out of the desert stab his staff in the ground and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh will harden his heart. He will resist. He will push back. Plague after plague, 10 plagues will come. And finally, the stubborn pride of a Pharaoh will be broken by the persistence of God. The 10th plague The 10th plague will come and strike Egypt. And God will say to Moses, you tell the children of Israel, you tell my people, this night an avenging angel will walk throughout Egypt. And everyone who does not have blood upon their doorpost of their house or the lintel of the house, the entry, they will see death to their firstborn, both child and of beast. That night... The avenging angel would walk throughout Egypt. You could hear the cries and the moans as death and destruction touch family after family. You see, it's always expensive to resist God. But over the doorpost of the Hebrew people was the blood of a sacrificial lamb. We call it the Passover. God gave instructions to Moses and he said, you tell my people, they are to take a lamb and they're to sacrifice that lamb. The blood will be upon the doorpost of their house. Then they're to take that lamb and they're to roast it and they're to eat it. They are to have bitter herbs. Four bitter herbs were a part of the Passover meal. They were to eat the meal standing up with their Sandals on their feet because God says when he brings them out, they need to be ready to move and ready to step into the place God God has for them. That night, the Passover would take place. The Hebrew people would gather and share that meal. In fact, we read in the book of Hebrews in the Old Testament Chapter 6, this is God's word and God's promise to Israel. It's a fourfold promise. Interesting. 
interesting there are four letters in the Hebrew name of God. But God will give four declarations in Exodus chapter 6, verse number 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. A fourfold declaration that God gave. And in that, in that, we will now find ourselves in the New Testament. As Jesus will journey to Jerusalem, he enters Jerusalem in what is called the Passion Week. We're entering into the Passion Week. This is, this is the Palm Sunday moment. In fact, it's interesting the day that Jesus rides into the city of Jerusalem upon the donkey, according to the prophecy. That was actually Lamb Selection Day. For you see, the Passover was to be on the 14th day of the month, but but the selection was made four days earlier. And all throughout Jerusalem, they are gathering and selecting a lamb that they will sacrifice for their Passover meal. And here was the Lamb of God riding into the city. Jesus will tell his disciples, you go make preparations for a Passover meal. A room was selected. Scripture tells us this is the third time in the ministry of Jesus that he will share the Passover meal with his disciples. But this is the most foreboding of them all, for this will be the last Passover he will share with them. Hence, the Last Supper he will share with them. They will gather in a room and Jesus will share the Passover meal with them. Now to help us understand how the Passover was taken, we must lose the imagery of, of Leonardo da Vinci's rendering of the Last Supper. We typically see a table and the disciples and Jesus sitting at chairs and that beautiful depiction. Well, that is very endearing and heartwarming. That's not how a Jewish Passover or a Jewish Seder actually occurred. Let me explain to you. They would gather and they were not sitting at chairs. The typical Passover meal, the Seder, the, the arrangement was typically in a U shape, a U shape. And those that were sharing the meal would gather around and they didn't sit in chairs. They would eat the meal reclining. In fact, the Gospel of John will say this, and while they were reclining and sharing the meal together, they weren't at tables. They were reclining. Well, wait a minute. Didn't God say in, 
In Exodus chapter 14, they were to eat it standing up, yes, because they were about to go on a journey. But thereafter, they always ate the meal reclining and it spoke of now God has delivered us. There's no more journeying. Once, once you're with God, you don't journey anymore. You don't turn away. You don't walk away from God. So they would sit at the U-shape arrangement. And they would lean with their left elbow. And they would eat the meal with their right hand. Now at the typical Passover meal, the host the host would always be sitting on the left-hand side. And there were two seats of honor, two seats of honor. On either side of the host was the seat of honor. We can place Jesus in the place where the host was, leaning, reclining on his left elbow. Just to Jesus' right, in, right in front of him, was John the Beloved. How do we know that he was there? Because the New Testament says while they were eating the Passover meal, John leaned back upon the chest of Jesus to hear and feel the heartbeat of our Savior. And on the other seat, the other place of honor, right next to Jesus, was Judas Iscariot. How do we know that Judas was there? Because the Bible says that he would offer him some. Jesus would, would dip bread and he offered Judas sup from the bitter herbs on a piece of unleavened flat bread. You see, in the Jewish Passover, three people always sat together. There was one bowl for three people. Three people would eat out of one bowl. Then the next three people, there would be a bowl for them. And the next three people, there was a bowl for them all around the table. And because Jesus offered Judas Iscariot the, the bread, we know that he was sitting in the other seat of honor. So flanking Jesus was one who leaned to the heart of God and the other one who was leaning away from the purposes of God all around the table. The other disciples were in a random order. However, we can place Simon Peter at the last seat opposite of Jesus. How do we know Simon Peter was there? Because scripture tells us that when they entered the room, Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet one after the other. That tells us that Jesus probably washed John's feet first and then he washed Judas' feet. The rest of the disciples, but when he came to Simon Peter, Peter protested, oh Lord, I don't want you to wash my feet. I'm unworthy, let me wash your feet. And Jesus would have that sobering conversation. If I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. And finally Peter acquiesced and said, then Lord, then you can wash my feet and you can wash all of me. And it appears that was the last disciple that Jesus washed his feet. Hence, we place Simon Peter in the last seat opposite of Jesus. And now we enter the Passover meal. As we enter the Passover meal, Jesus is seated at the place of honor. His followers, the disciples are around the table. 
and there will be four cups. I remind you, there are four letters in the Hebrew name of God. There were four declarations that were given by Moses to the people in the Passover meal. God would say, I will, I will bring you out. That's the statement of promise. The second statement, I will deliver you. The statement of deliverance. The third one, I will redeem you. That's the statement of redemption. And then the last, I will make you my people and they, everyone will know that, you're, that I am your God. It's the statement of protection. And there will be four cups. Now some scholars believe that there perhaps was one cup and they filled it four different times. I somehow, however, believe that there were actually four cups and ancient renderings of artist work. You will see in the artist rendering four cups. So it appears to me there were probably actually four individual cups that were shared at the Jewish Passover. The cup was filled four parts. One part wine, three parts water. And Jesus would have picked up the first cup, the cup of promise. It would have been held up and he would have blessed it. And it is the tradition at the Jewish Passover that four questions will be asked. The first question is, why are we here this night? And the person holding the first cup, the cup of promise will say, God gave a promise that he was going to lead his people out and bring them to a land and they would rehearse that promise. And the first cup, the cup of promise, Jesus would drink it and then he would hand it and it would circulate around the room and each of the 12 disciples will sip of the cup of promise. You see, it speaks of God saying he's going to do something for you. Some of us are in the house of the Lord right now or we're watching by live stream and there's something in our hearts that says, God's gonna do this for me. Maybe there's something somebody's told you to give up on. It'll never change. It's broken. You're crushed. You're defeated. But there's something inside of you. God has placed something that says, I'm going to believe God can still do it. You are drinking the cup of promise. And God says you're not bound by the, by the label and, and by the diagnosis that people put upon you. The cup of promise. Then the second cup would be picked up the cup of deliverance. And then the question would come. The question would come. Why, why are we, why are, well, what did God do in that special night? And then the, the story would be told of the deliverance. Oh, there was blood placed upon the doorpost and the avenging angel and the host of the event would tell the story of God's deliverance out of Egypt as they held the cup of deliverance. Jesus would have sipped the cup, the cup of deliverance, and he would have passed it around and would have gone all the way around the room, the second cup, the cup of deliverance. 
And after that, they would sing two of four songs. Psalm 115 and 116 would have been sung at this moment. And it would tell of of God's promises of deliverance and taking us out of grief and out of our sorrow and God's promise that, that we are his people. Then following the cup of deliverance, the second cup, the Passover meal would be shared. Then Jesus would have taken the bread. The meal starts and he would have blessed it. And this is the moment when he broke the bread and he said to those 12 disciples, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you eat this, you do this in remembrance of me. And then they would have shared the meal and each disciple would have taken a piece of the flat unleavened bread and they would have dipped it in the bitter herbs. The bitter herbs would it would have the flavor of horseradish. It was stark. It was not appetizing. It was bitter. Why? To remind them of their bitter bondage. To remind them of what God brought them out of. They would have dipped it. And each disciple would have, would have eaten the bitter bread. The next cup. The third cup. It's going to be the cup of redemption, but something happens. Something happens. The gospel of John says that, that Judas, after he had eaten the bread before the third cup, he got up from where he was next to Jesus and he began to walk towards the door. And as it were, John records, Jesus says, what you do, you must do quickly. Why would Jesus make that statement to Judas at that moment? Because Judas was in a place of indecision. He was, he was struggling. His motions were going back and forth. He was in a place of almost maybe, should I, I, should I, should I not? And Jesus appealed to him, don't labor on it. Make the decision. Turn around and come back and sit by me. Don't do this. Make your decision quick. And the Bible says that Judas turned his back on Jesus and he walked out and it was night. He stepped into the darkness. Yes. A darkness in his soul that would be so bleak and and so torturing, he would never see the sunlight of God's grace again. He would never feel the warmth of God's presence. He, he would never feel the sunrise of God's promises in his heart. Why? Because in a moment of indecision, he gave in and he walked away from Jesus. I've watched before people at that moment and the, and the maybe later, God speaks to them. I've had people walk up to me in church in this altar, been caught in the parking lot. I prayed with people. They've come into my office. And I say, God, I believe, is talking to me. God is telling me, and I'm feeling this in my heart. Then my, my, my statement to them, if God is telling you, you need to do it now. But you know what? Right now, 
Right now, we're living together. We can't get married. We don't have the money for it. And it's really not coming. Don't put it off. Make it right with God. We'll do it later. We'll do it later. Oh, you need to break that habit. You need to separate yourself from this. I've got too attached to a, a coworker of the opposite gender at work. You need to quit that job. You need to make the commitment now. Walk away from it. Don't decide. I'll think about it. I'll ponder it. And time again, I've seen indecision conquer their soul. Yes, my mind recounts a family. They got a promotion. They invited Denise and I over to the house to celebrate the promotion. We were saying, thank God. We knew that for some time he had been applying and finally got the promotion. And at the end of the meal, here's what he said. But pastor, I'm now going to have to work on weekends. We can't serve in ministry anymore. And we can't. But we're going to have church at home. We're going to have church by ourselves. I just want to say to church online one thing. It's all right to be online with God if you're closer to God now than you were two years ago. But if you're not, it's time to get back in church. If it hasn't brought you closer to God, if your worship, if your devotion, your commitment to God has lessened, it's time to abandon online and get back into the presence of God. I know that's not palatable, but I'll say it anyway. They said, we can't, we're busy, we're doing, and we never saw them in church. Yes. I'm at the county courthouse. I'm down there for, with the family. I'm praying with them. There's a legal matter they're dealing with. And I'm walking down the corridor, and all of a sudden, a gray-haired, speckled, gray-black salt and pepper hair man waves at me who is that walk closer it's the gentleman that told me over a decade plus earlier they were taking a break he said pastor jim can you pray with us we're in a desperate place he ushered me into a courtroom and a little kid 15 years earlier, I saw playing around the table while we had that dinner that night and we were celebrating his promotion was in a yellow jump shoot suit with handcuffs behind his back. And the crime that he was facing, the accusation, he would spend decades in prison. And they were weeping. How did it happen? How did it happen? How did it happen? Yeah. How could somebody, how could Judas walk with God and get up and turn his back on God? It happened. It happened. The next cup, the third cup, is the cup of redemption. What is strikingly sober to me is Judas never drank the cup of redemption. Oh, he drank the cup of promise. He drank the cup of deliverance. He had half of, the, half of the, what we call the communion elements. He took part of the meal, but he would not drink the cup of redemption. He walked out of the room. 
you can't have a partway experience with God. You can't have a partway experience with God. You can't just come to church and say, I'm all right, and I'm sincere in my heart and devotion, and I kind of believe in this divine being, and I'll call upon him when I'm in trouble and I'm having difficult times. But other than that, God needs to stay in the other room. I have a barrier that God can't cross. This is my life, my rights, and my prerogatives, and God has to come in and out at my my choosing. It will not happen that way. You can't have a part time relationship with God Judas never drank of the cup of redemption Jesus would now take the cup of redemption and it's at this point he blesses the cup and he's going to say this is my blood which is shed for you when you drink it you do in remembrance of me and he drinks the cup and he passes it around Now it's not 12 disciples, it's 11 disciples that will each sip of the cup of redemption. Following that, Jesus retrieves the fourth cup, the cup of protection. When God says, I will make you my people and you will become mine, And everyone will know that I am the God that delivers you, that I I will put my name and my testimony upon you. And Jesus takes the cup of protection, but something happens here that has not happened with the other three cups. Jesus will not drink this cup. He will, the gospels record this. Jesus will say, I will not drink this cup until I drink it anew in the kingdom. For you see, he knew He knew that he was about to be arrested. He knew in just a few hours he would be drugged before six trials, three religious and three civil trials. Six trials he would endure, and he knew that it would result in his crucifixion. And Jesus refused to drink the cup of protection. He was saying, God... I'm not asking you to protect me from the grief and the torment that's about to follow. I will abstain from this cup so they can drink from the cup of protection when they become my children. Jesus takes the cup and he passes it around. He abstains, but 11 disciples will drink of the cup of protection. And he's saying to them, when you're broken, when you don't know what to do, there's the everlasting arms of God that he's going to bring and he's going to watch over. At this moment, I'm going to lead you in our communion moment. As I do, And as you hold the elements before you, the bread and the cup, the bread represents the meal that he took and Jesus said, this is my broken body. The cup, this is the cup of redemption. Could it be that some of us have never drank the cup of redemption? Could it be that we've 
We've appealed to God for the cup of promise and the cup of deliverance. God, help me. Get me out of this mess. God, protect me from that. God, watch over me. God, I I need you, but God comes in and out at our convenience. But we've never drank from the cup of redemption. We've never said, Jesus, you're my Lord. Jesus, I give you my all. Jesus, I will change my life. Jesus, I will put you first. That's the cup of redemption. And if you have not, I'm going to give you that opportunity now. I'm going to pray over these elements. And I'm going to ask you balcony and main floor across as well as church online to bow your heads right now. And I'm going to pray over these. But before I do, I ask you the soul-searching question. Have you made a full, whole heart commitment to Jesus? I'm going to say to you what Jesus said to Judas, what you do, do quickly. You've been in services just like this and you've heard an appeal and you've reasoned and rationalized. Well, I'm in church and I'm a pretty good person and I somewhat believe and you've, you've always gone halfway with God but never all in. I'm calling for an all in moment now. I'm calling for an all-in moment with God. And if that's you, you're saying, I'm going all-in. I'm going to give Jesus everything. I'm going to turn my life over to him. If that's you, I want you unreservedly and unhesitantly to lift your hand before we pray. Yes, sir. God's going on it. Yes. Yes. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you in the balcony. God bless you. Oh, God bless you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. God bless you. All in, all in. Let me pray now. Father, as I hold these elements that speak of the body and blood of the Lord, they remind us of you. And as we enter this Passion Week, I pray, God, that our awareness of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made will be renewed in our heart. God, we come here right now thanking you for the sacrifice of your son Jesus and our privilege to share in this moment. I bless this bread and this cup. For those who have raised their hand and some have even stood saying, I'm going all in. Right now, they're saying, God, forgive me. They're saying right now, Jesus, save me. They're saying, God, I'm not going to do halfway anymore. I'm going all in. I'm going to recalibrate my life and my decisions. I'm going to prioritize God. I'm going to serve God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength from this day forward. And as they call on the name of the Lord, on the authority of God's word, you said that you would save them and you would bring them in the family of faith. And as they take the cup of redemption, they receive with it the cup of God's protection and blessing in their life. I pray God right now, you'll honor the heart commitment they're making to you in Jesus' name, amen. This bread represents his broken body, which you break and take in remembrance of Jesus.
the cup representing the new covenant in his blood. We take the cup of redemption because Jesus died on the cross. Let's share together. Personalize this moment. Personalize this moment. I said the four cups. Now can I share with you the fifth cup? Yes, said every Passover. There is a fifth cup. At a Jewish Seder, they will pass the four cups from Exodus chapter 6. But there's always on a table a cup from the fruit of the vine that sits undisturbed. No one ever drinks it. The fifth cup is called the cup of Elijah. It is believed every time they take the Passover that there should be the cup of Elijah sitting there and it's expectation when the prophet Elijah will come and that the prophet Elijah would bring judgment upon all of those who have persecuted Israel and have disobeyed God. There is the expectation in a Jewish Passover, Jewish Seder, that Elijah the prophet will come. For you see, in the Old Testament, it refers to the cup of the wrath of God. And that's what the fifth cup stands for. God said over and over again, there is one cup And it's the cup of his wrath for those who rebel, those who refuse this world that has been smug and indifferent and have fulminated hatred towards God. God said the cup of his wrath that he's going to pour upon mankind in judgment against them. The fifth cup. The disciples will retreat from the upper room. They will walk a path at night lit by torches. They walk across the Kidron Valley to a place called Gethsemane. It will be in Gethsemane that Jesus will be arrested and his trial and his scourging will begin that will lead to a cross. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. The disciples are exhausted. Luke says they're exhausted from sorrow. The weight, the burden of what Jesus had just disclosed to them was a heavier burden than they could bear. And they're sleeping. And while the disciples sleep, Jesus has a conversation with the Father. He knows there's one cup of wrath. He did not drink the cup of protection, but there is one more cup, the cup of judgment. And Jesus, as it were, holds it in his hand in the garden. And he said, Father, if it possible, let this cup, let that cup of punishment 
For you see, God hates sin. God, God cannot live. God cannot excuse sin. And God must judge sin. And he has a cup of wrath to pour out upon sin. And Jesus is holding, as it were, the cup of the wrath of punishment for sin. And he knows and he said, let this cup pass for me. But nevertheless, not mine, but your will be done. Jesus drank that cup. He drank the cup of punishment. He drank the cup of the wrath of God so you and I would not have to. So you and I would have the privilege of having forgiveness and no longer enemies of God, but children brought into the family of God. And because we have the cup of redemption, we enjoy the cup of protection. But Jesus became the sacrificial offering in our place, in our place. Someone has said, It wasn't the cross that weighted him down as he stumbled along over the rough, rocky ground. It wasn't the cross that caused him to grieve as he hung there suspended on cruel Calvary. But he was taking my place where I should have been. It wasn't the cross, but the load of sin. It wasn't the cross that kept him quiet as he stood there in Pilate's hall that night. It wasn't the cross that made him quail as they lashed his back with the cat of nine tails. But he could look in the future and he could see my sin. Sin repeated again and again. He was taking my place where I should have been. It wasn't the cross, but the load of sin. Oh God, for the sacrifice that you have made. Thank you.